Good evening. Well, it is. It's six o'clock. Well, that's what time it is in Rome. So, I want to welcome you guys. I want to thank you all for your prayers for our team that uh, went out and we visited Turkey and Rome and and got to see the early parts of the church, the footsteps of of Paul and Peter, and and just all that happened. It was a great trip. It was an eventful trip. Um, we learned a lot about flexibility. <laughs> and uh, all total, they tell me that we walked about 65 miles. So we'll be taking sign-ups for the... No. <laughs> we are excited to be able to be here and to be able to celebrate uh, with you all and, and to regather the church. The amazing thing that, that we learned on our trip is that God is faithful. God is faithful over the years, the many, many years of the church and its existence and being established and all of those things. And we are here to celebrate a living God. That is the other thing that we learned. There is a lot of people in that country, in Turkey and, and in Rome, that, that worship a dead God or dead gods. And we celebrate and we worship a living God. Amen? The joy of seeing a child open the boxes for the first time is just, it's incredible. There's squeals and screams, and they're so excited to see what's inside their box. Oh, my goodness! Every shoebox gift represents the love of God to them. We are so excited. Many of the children receive the shoebox for the first time in their life. We're here with Operation Christmas Child. The kids are so excited. We had the opportunity to hand out some of the boxes. There was so much joy, so much happiness. And it gives us an opportunity to present the gospel. We pray that these boxes will be used to bring a lot of happiness and joy. But more importantly, the gospel to each heart, all these little children around the world. What a great gift. I get a present. I get to know who Jesus is. But not only that, I get to be discipled in his ways. Hundreds of thousands of volunteers work with Operation Christmas Child every year, preparing these boxes, praying for the boxes, that God will use them in a mighty way for His glory. This little shoebox has the opportunity to change the world. Not only are they going to get a shoebox, they're going to get the love and the message of Jesus Christ. Some go by helicopter, some go by ship, some go by camel, donkeys, canoes. We go at great lengths to take these boxes to children in the most remote parts of the world. And it's an incredible journey. After these children open the box, they have the opportunity to go through the greatest journey, the 12-lesson discipleship program, where they get to learn more about Jesus Christ. Right now, I'm right outside of Mazlan, Mexico, about six-hour drive up in the mountains. This is an indigenous people group, people that never heard the gospel before. The kids and the families that accepted Christ, almost a hundred altogether, have now started a church. This shoebox gives us an opportunity to continue to shine the bright light of the gospel in the darkest and remote places around the world. 
We're seeing families come to know Jesus. Churches are sprouting up in these communities. These children are rising up to be disciples in their own country. The gift box and the gospel of Jesus Christ bring hope to our children to bring the smiles back on their faces. No greater need and no greater time than right now for us to go out and serve boldly. This is what these shoe boxes are all about, to go out in the bring of hope of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm just so amazed at what God does each and every year. This is an opportunity to impact the lives of millions of children, just like you've seen. But we need more boxes for next year. Every box is an opportunity for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you, and God bless each and every one. almost 85 degrees outside and the sun is shining, but we are there. And you probably saw our, um, our stand out there already, and some of you have already picked up boxes. Some of you said you're going to get boxes on the way out. We're so happy for that. Um, I just This, this film tells, told it all, but I just want to give you some reminders. First of all, that your boxes need to be full, but not bulging. Don't put any tape on them. Um, just one single rubber band, and if you don't have a rubber band available, we can, we can cover that when you bring your box in. And you can pick up as many boxes as you like today. The more, the better. Um, I want to just remind you, too, of what needs to go in the box. First, essentials like hygiene items, but no toothpaste. Um, school items, because a lot of children all over the world in these countries cannot go to school unless they have school supplies. So make sure you put school items on them. And then accessories. Little girls love hair bowls. Little boys love cars. Um, just any little toy or things. Socks are great. Uh, items of clothing. And then, of course, a wow item. And that's what everybody always asks me. What is a wow item? So it can be a soccer ball. Remember to deflate it. That's the only way you can get it in the box. But then you need to send a pump with it so they can pump it back up because we all know we can't play with a flat soccer ball. Uh, baby dolls, um, glamour dolls, but just make sure they're appropriate. Um, stuffed animals are good wow gifts. Little boys love little trucks that are, you know, the bigger size trucks. And older boys, tools, fishing kits. Older girls, sewing kits. So just use your imagination and know that all of those things, these children, any gift they get is so important to them. But the most important gift that they have an opportunity to get is knowing Jesus and having salvation through him. And that's what this ministry is all about. And so with each box that you packed, pray for the child that's going to receive that box because God already knows who that is and God already knows what child needs what. And so you just are the hands and feet of, of Jesus. So do that. I suggest when you go shop for your boxes that you take a box with you because it's very discouraging when you get something home and you thought it would fit in the box and there's no way it's going in that box. 
Also, it gives you an opportunity to witness and to share about Operation Christmas Child because when people see that box in your cart while you're running around the store, they're going to ask, well, what's that all about? And then you can share with them. So those are some of the things that I would encourage you to do. I want you to remember that we are having another craft party. I want to thank all the people that did come to the last one. We're going to be making uh, jump ropes. And we would love to have you men join us as well as the ladies because we're going to be making um, these jump ropes out of T-shirts. And it would be really fun to have some of you guys there with us. And also our packing party, which will be November 12th at 10 here in the upper room. There's going to be a box out in the foyer by next week. Um, So if you have items that you're not putting, if you have extra items that you're not putting in your own boxes and you want to put them in that for the packing party, that would be good. We're also really happy that Awanas um, has chosen this for their mission this year for the first time. And those kids are excited. And they'll be joining us with their items at the packing party. Um, Oh, I want to share with you right now, you know, Ukraine is heavy on all of our hearts. And Samaritan's Purse, uh, through Operation Christmas Child, had contact with a 1,000 churches in the last 10 years. And so that enabled them immediately to be able to go into that country when the war began. They have a hospital in Lviv. They have two first aid stations. And they have already served over 4 million people both with health care and getting essential supplies into them. They also have, um, they continued the shoebox ministry, and the greatest journey continued to be taught until teachers had to flee the country. So they have continued to give um, now backpacks with those same items that we have in our shoeboxes to over 400,000 children. Uh, both in-country and also refugee children from Poland, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. And you are a part of that ministry, and I just want to thank you for that, and I want you to be praying for those children as well. So Dan is going to just talk to you a little bit about how to order online and where those boxes go and also on um, a challenge. Okay, now we can order online our shoe boxes any time of the year. And this year we can get credit for those shoe boxes. So when you go into Samaritan Purse Operation Christmas Child, you go to Pack a Box, and in the link you just drop down uh, to our church, which is Warren, Oregon, and then it's Warren Community Fellowship. And then you build your box through that website, and then we can... Uh, get credit for it. Our, I'm shooting for a goal for online shoe boxes 100 this year. Okay, and that's more than we did last year. Last year, we're, a total of online shoe boxes and what we call physical shoe boxes, we got shoe boxes already, was 400. So I'm going to go for 100 online, and I have over 600 shoe boxes out in the storage area. I would like to see at least 500 filled for our church this year, and I think we can do that. So I ask 
Last time we were up here to build one extra shoebox, and I think we can do it. We've got plenty of boxes, and I can find more if we run out. So. And you can always use uh, regular-sized shoeboxes um, that you have at home if we do run out. So don't worry about us running out because we can fill them all. One more thing that I did want to mention before we introduce our guests this morning is um, – don't forget that $10 deposit to cover each box. You can either pay online, you can pay on the envelope that you're going to get when you pick up your shoe boxes, or you can put your check in that envelope and put it in the box. Um, also, there are items that you cannot have in the shoe boxes, and when you pick up your folder, you'll see inside there's, you know, no liquids, no glass, no army things. Um, so there's an assortment, no food, no candy, no seeds. Um, so when you pick up your box, you'll get your, your envelope and your information about that. So we have a uh, special guest with us today. These are the area coordinators, uh, Jim and Leanne Kinney. I'd like them to come up here. And also Pastor Carrie. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Jim. I'm an uh, area coordinator for this area with my beautiful wife, Leanne. We oversee um, the Portland area. We have uh, from Columbia River down to about Woodburn over to the coast. And um, it's my privilege today to present your church. It's the first one, um, it's exciting for me, that um, you folks have been a drop-off location, which means you open your doors to the community to bring shoeboxes in, as well as doing your own shoeboxes as a church. You've been a drop-off location as of last year for 20 years, so I want to congratulate you on that. Um, that's exciting. Um, very first time um, in this area that I've been able to present this award for 20 years. So um, on behalf of Samaritan's Purse and our, and our team here in the Portland area, we just want to say thank you for... Um, Spending, opening your doors to the community to receive shoe boxes, which are making a huge, huge impact worldwide. So thank you very much. So. Perfect. We'll just leave it here. Do you, or yep. you want me to take it? No, I want to pray over the ministry. Okay, perfect. Can. Yes. You must be a missionary because he's hanging on to this mic dearly. <laughs> Let's pray over the outreach and, and the ministry this year. Father, we thank you that you've given us the opportunity to serve and to be your hands and your feet. Lord, we think about uh, so many people that have never heard the gospel. And the fact is that, God, you've given to us the words that are the keys to life. And as those words come out, they're powerful. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would that you would anoint each one of those shoeboxes with the words that, that not just the kids, but the whole families, whole households would come to faith. That you would uh, break open those doors that have been shut for so long that the gospel would go beyond the borders that, that Satan tries to limit and that the gospel would be borderless. Father, bless the hands that pack the boxes and, and may you knit our hearts together as one. 
May we continue to serve you until you come, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. So as part of, and, and you, you see the kids coming in, um, one of the things that, that we really want to focus on too is, is ministry that makes disciples. And this morning we have actually two baptisms. We have one baptism this service, and then we have another baptism next service. And we think about what is baptism. Well, we bring the kids in because we want to be able to teach what baptism is. Baptism is that outward expression of the inward transformation. One of the things that we learned um, firsthand really is the power of the testimony of baptism. We went to some early Byzantine churches, and in all of those churches, there was something that was very uh, elemental in the construction of the church, and that was a baptismal that was within the church, that was part of the regular worship that, that took place. Prior to that, baptisms were held wherever there was water. We think, of, we think about Philip and the Ethiopian, and, and as he's reading Isaiah and, and wants to be able to understand, and, and God took him and said, look at here, we want you to explain this. And he says, well, what's to hinder me from being baptized? Here's water. Let's do it. And, and so within that, there has always been this element of baptism, and So I want to read to you out of Romans chapter 6, as Paul explains to the church about baptism and about just what that all entails. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, and they're having this conversation about grace and sin, and if, if, if I sin, then I get that much more grace. Should I sin that much more to get more grace? Because there is this kind of wrong thinking, and Paul corrects it. And he says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been, note, baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in that newness of life. For if we've become like, become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no lo- longer walk and be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. So the difficulty is this, how do we reflect that transformation? If I say I'm dead to sin, I, then I physically have to die, and that doesn't happen. Because then I don't get to live anymore. So baptism really reflects that transformation, and when you are baptized into Christ, it's interesting because what you're saying is, I'm identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So for the believer's baptism, it is not a recognition of sin, as was the disciples of John, but it's a recognition of the transformation. I've been changed, and I've been changed on the inside through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So as we are baptized into water, just as Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, and Jesus came out of the tomb alive, so we say... I went into the water dead, but now 
I rise up out of the water alive. And that is how I am now living, living unto Christ, not living unto sin. So, kids, when we get baptized, we're going in the water just like Jesus went into the tomb. And when Jesus came out alive, we come out of the water and we come out a new life. And we show that that change has already happened. So who can be baptized? Those that have come to faith already in Christ, that their heart has been changed on the inside. And then we show everybody on the outside as a witness and as a testimony. So we have this morning a very, very special individual that I want to invite up, and his name is Garland Ray Bailey, and I may go Garland or I may go Ray because I know we call him by both names. So, Ray, if you want to come on up, you can call him Ray, you can call him Garland, but don't call him late for dinner. There you go. So Ray's been on this journey of faith for quite a long time. Uh, in fact, I didn't even know, but he had some people that played golf with him that took pity on him. And, and, but wanted to share the Lord with him through Bible study and such. And we've, I've been able to watch um, Ray grow in his faith and knowledge of Jesus. So before everybody and, and in these people, Ray, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I have. And when did you do that? It's been a journey of two or three years. I, people that I play golf with, uh, I think started a Bible class just for me. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure and I appreciate it. Norm? And that's, that's the product of discipleship. So in front of all these people, are you ready to be baptized? Yes, I am. Well, let's get her done. So he's back there getting ready. If those these family members, if you guys want to come up and, and take closer pictures, you're Tony Lynette, you guys are more than welcome to come up and do that. You join me. Hang on. He's a little lancy. <laughs> We're going to pray, okay? Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. I thank you for Ray and, and his heart for you, his faithfulness. Lord, that you have been transforming his life and bringing him to that place in the faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now as he follows you in obedience to baptism, I pray blessings over him. I pray your peace that passes all understanding and protect his heart and his mind. May he know your presence and the power of your presence. And I pray for his witness. The witness here in front of all of these people that, that he is a Christ follower to his family. 
to, to his kids, his grandkids. Lord, may they know his love for you. Lord, I thank you for Ray, and, and we pray, again, blessings over him in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody else? I'm not kidding. We will we will do baptism. We have baptism secretaries. If God's moved on your heart to be baptized, we will have a conversation and we'll baptize you anytime. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward for this morning's offering as we continue our worship through giving and through music and through the study of God's word. Pastor Fred's going to bring the message this morning. It's going to be exciting to hear from him as he speaks through Acts and realizing that we've been there, and it's cool. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the power that you have bestowed upon us to be called children of the living God. As we enter into this time of of worship through giving, we confess and realize that everything that we have and everything that we are comes from you and through you. Lord, we want to honor you with the totality of our being. And giving to you, we're just giving back an offering of that which you've already given to us. And so, Lord, we want to recognize that you're the giver of life and that much more. May you receive this offering in the manner that it's intended to worship you. May these resources meet the needs of those within our community and beyond. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, anyway, today we're going to uh, look at... um, at Paul's journey, and we're going to start in Acts chapter uh, 16, verse 14, and we're going to read through this passage. It's a little bit long, but uh, just uh, I think that anyway, it's God's word, right? So let's honor God by standing as we read His word in Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 14. <clears throat> a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabric, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged him into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and proclaiming customs uh, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them. And the chief priests, excuse me, the chief magistrates tore their robes off 
them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet to stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And they took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. He brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when day came, the chief magistrate sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrate has sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now are they, going, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words of the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Father God, again, we're just so grateful for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, for the historicity of this event. Lord, we thank you for the team that uh, just went to Turkey and visited the churches where the Apostle Paul uh, actually preached and proclaimed the word, where the church was born uh, in Asia, this part of Asia Minor, and also Europe. So, Father, we just are so grateful that what you have written in your word is so um, validated by the fact that these cities, these places, this history is all there. So we just thank you, Lord, that we can have total confidence in your word. So thank you, God, for preserving this for us. And Lord, thank you for giving us these historical events that would build our faith and cause us to rejoice and trust in you more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get started in this passage here this morning, I'd like to back up a little bit to uh, the passage that we dealt with last week, Uh, because I think there's an important... uh, well, there's an important segment here that we just need to, uh, to look at in order to understand this book of uh, Acts that, was, that we're getting into here. But we know that uh, Luke was the writer of Acts. He actually wrote the book Luke, which bears his name, and the book of Acts. And in doing that, he did a lot of research in order to come up with these the facts of the gospel and also the Acts of the Apostles. In Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he... Um, kind of gives an introduction to what he uh, writes. So he says in these verses, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile account of these things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from 
the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order. Most excellent Theophilies, so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. And then as we skip forward into the book of Acts, we see his introduction there where he says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven, after he, by the Holy Spirit, had given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it's interesting that Luke never mentions himself as he writes either one of these books. But um, as we get to Acts chapter 16, and we see there's a change in the pronouns uh, between uh, verse 8 and verse 10. So let me read that. Uh, This is Acts chapter 16, verse 7. And it says, after they, now I want you to notice the pronoun. Uh, This is the uh, third person plural here. And after they, and that was Paul, Silas, and Timothy, came to Mysia, they were trying to go on to Bithynia, and the Spirit of the Lord did not permit them. And having passed Mysia, they came to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia to help us. Now notice verse 10. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here, basically, what Luke is doing, he is introducing himself into the story. Before this, he had relied upon eyewitnesses that he had interviewed in order to write the book of Acts. But at this point, in Troas, it seems that he actually became a part of the mission team himself. You can see that in the change of the pronouns. So we see that happens, um, that he stays with the Apostle Paul in Philippi. But later we see as Paul leaves Philippi, then it's they again. It's not we. So again, he's separated from them, and he stays there until Acts chapter 20. In 20 verse 6, it says, We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came to them at Troas within five days, and we stayed seven days. So when Paul then, after the riot in Ephesus, he left um, uh, Ephesus, and then he went back to Macedonia, and he visited Philippi again. And there he picks up his friend Luke, the physician. And Luke again joins him uh, until, well, to the end of the book of Acts. Luke is with him because we see, continue to see the pronouns we from that point on. So anyway, I just wanted to just stop and, and let you know that, that, that not only did Luke interview people about what uh, the apostles did, but he himself actually joined Paul here at Troas and became a part of the mission team. So let's go back to uh, verse 14. It says, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken uh, by Paul. Now, Lydia is the first European recorded of coming to Christ. So the Apostle Paul, when he was in Troas, he left there, he went across the Aegean Sea, and he ended up in Philippi, and there he met Lydia, and obviously she came to know the Lord. But I want to just uh, look at her life for just a second here, as far as how she came to know the Lord. It says that she was a worshiper of God. That means that she revered God, that, um, that she had respect for God and who he was. It doesn't mean that she was a believer, but it does mean that she had a high opinion of God. Secondly, we notice that she listened. She was a listener. 
She listened to what God was saying. And then thirdly, we see this from a different perspective. This was her response, but now we see something else. We see God's response. It says that he opened her heart to respond to the gospel. How many of you here have prayed for loved ones for years to see them come to know Christ? Do you find that your prayers kind of get rote? I mean, I mean, you pray day after day. I know that, you know, that my wife and I, we pray for two of our children that are not following the Lord, and we try to pray for them every single day. But, you know, it kind of gets old. I mean, what do you say? I mean, you say in a prayer, same prayer over and over. Well, here we have a little bit of help, I think. So we can pray, first of all, that, um, that they would come to a place of where they respect God. They revere who he is. Many people in this world ridicule uh, the idea of God. Uh, but so we can pray for our loved ones that they would come to a place of respecting or revering God. Secondly, we see that she listened. She listened to what Paul said. So we can pray that God would give them ears to hear, to really listen, to pay attention. I know I was talking to Pastor Kerry this morning, and he was talking about one of their uh, guides in uh, Turkey and how he listened to every message that they that every day is is uh, is Pastor Kerry would t- would talk about the events that were happening in that location. He would listen. Well, we need to pray for our loved ones that they would listen. They would hear what the gospel says. And then the third aspect is from God's perspective. God opened her heart to believe. We can pray that for our loved ones as well. So three things. Number one, pray that they would revere God. Secondly, that they would be listeners. And thirdly, that God would open their heart to respond. So anyway, just a simple thing to, uh, to, to kind of guide us as we begin to pray for our loved ones who don't know the Lord. Verse 15 says, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that she believed and she was immediately baptized. You know, Pastor Kerry's not kidding. If you want to be baptized a second service, we'll do it, you know, because that is biblical. You know, he mentioned um, the Ethiopian, and as soon as they saw water after he had believed, what's to keep me from being baptized? There's nothing. You know, baptism doesn't save us. Baptism is something that we do to show something that happened inside. Lydia wasn't saved through baptism. She was saved first, and then she proclaimed her salvation through baptism. She gave that as a symbol of what happened to her, that she was buried. She rose from the dead to new life in Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, as we look at this, as we look at the Philippian jailer who later did the very same thing. The moment he was, uh, he believed he was baptized. You know, um, there is joy and excitement in coming to know Christ. You know, when you know that your sins are forgiven, that you're accepted by God. I mean, it's overwhelming to think that God could love me. You know, I remember accepting Christ myself, and, and uh, during that time, I, I was thinking, well, I know what's inside Fred Butcher, and you know, it's not all very pretty, and God knows what's inside Fred Butcher, and he wants me? That was astounding. But God wants you. It doesn't matter what you've gone through, what's happened in your life. He loves you. He wants you to be with him for eternity. Well, <clears throat> um, in verse 16, it says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master much profit by fortune-telling. You know, the tenses in this verse indicates that this wasn't just a one-time encounter. It seemed like this happened day after day 
as they were there. So it seemed that Paul would go on a regular basis to this place of prayer because people would meet there and he would proclaim the gospel. But on the way, this woman would constantly um, agitate him by saying this. Now, the message she said was a good message. Um, So it says here that she had a spirit of divination. Uh, the word divination is the Greek word python, where we get the word python or snake. Let me just read this. It says, Python, the Greek name given to the mythological serpent or dragon who lived at Pytho beneath Mount uh, Parsonus and guarded the Delphic Oracle. The name then became the surname of Apollo, the god of divination in the, god, in the Greek mythology, and hence applied to all oracular or divinary spirits. Such persons generally spoke with their mouth closed, uttering words considered beyond their own control, and so were also known as ventriloquists. Now, the word fortune-telling, let's see. The word fortune-telling is the uh, Greek word matuomai, and it means to be mad or beside oneself. To divine or utter spells, such soothsayers raged and foamed and screamed, making strange and terrible noises, sometimes gnashing with their teeth, shaking and trembling with many strange motions. The fortune teller were possessed of a uh, manacle fury which displayed itself by rolling the eyes and foaming at the mouth and flying here. It is quite possible that these symptoms were sometimes produced by the inhalation of vapors or other drugs, as they were often aggravated or aggravated in the seers. The pythonist and the like, no doubt, uh, such belong to a spiritual world not related to the true God, a uh, true relationship uh, with not with heaven, but with uh, above, but with hell below. So um, this woman not only said these things, but probably she put on many, demonstrated many of these other um, characteristics. And so therefore she was uh, really causing a scene. Now, I don't know if you have um, ever encountered anybody that's been demonized. I hope that you haven't. Uh, it is uh, not a very fun experience. Uh, one time I had gone to see this fellow by the name of Tony. He had been visiting our church. I heard that he was in the hospital. He was having heart problems, so I went to see him in the hospital. And uh, Tony was hooked up to all these monitors and uh, all these screens. And you know what it's like when you go into a hospital room like that. And so he was in there. And so then Tony began to talk to me. And uh, it really wasn't Tony. It was something else. And as he began to talking, I realized right away that I was in... I was in trouble, <laughs> that uh, there was a demonic power and presence there. And so I told Tony, I says, Tony, I'm going to pray for you. First, I'm going to pray silently, and, and, and then I'm going to pray quietly for you, you know. And, and so my silent prayer was something like this, help God, I'm in over my head. <laughs> and uh, so then uh, after I had made that really, uh, really good prayer there of faith, you know, to God, and uh, so then I, I just uh, quietly prayed, you know, to Tony. I says, God, would you please release Tony from the evil one? And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, 
Tony began to thrash in this bed. I mean, he arched up on his head and his heel. That was the only thing he touched in the bed. Was bouncing up and down on the screaming loud. And, uh, and I mean, uh, all the wires and stuff that were connected to him went flying everywhere. And, and immediately the room was filled with all these nurses and doctors. And I'm just sitting there dumbfounded. You know? <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so I, I, you know, I was sitting there trying to hold him down in the bed. And everybody else was trying to hold him. And he was flopping around like a wild fish. And, and so anyway, I, I kind of went out in the hallway and I'm just kind of walking around in a daze, not knowing what had happened just then. And so I was out there for a while and I was praying. And so finally the nurse came out and says, well, we seem to be calmed down. You can go back in and talk to him again. And so I went back in. I really didn't know what to do, you know. And, and uh, so I went in there. And, and so, so Tony, his eyes kind of rolled back in his head. And, and he says in this real guttural voice, my father will never leave me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was a, kind of a new pastor and, you know, new to all this kind of, I never ta- experienced anything like this before and I didn't know what to do. And I thought, well, maybe I should try to exercise this spirit. And, and, uh, and so anyway, but then I thought, well, you know, I could just see the headlines next, uh, next day in the, in the paper, uh, pastor tries to exercise spirit with man with heart problems and he dies of a heart attack. <laughs> So anyway, I, I kind of left Tony and scratching my head and I went out in the parking lot, was walking around and when the nurse came out and says, man, that was really something. I've never seen anything like that. And, well, I had never seen anything like that myself, you know. And so anyway, I thought, well, you know, I need to come back and talk to Tony about the Lord. I mean, this is, I need to do that. So I came back like the next day and, and Tony had been transferred from there to a, a different city into Pendleton. This was in Hermiston. And so I went to visit him and, and like the next day or so, I think I went over to Hermiston to visit him. I mean, to Pendleton to visit him. And I found out that he had attacked one of the nurses and they had sent him to the big house down in Salem for the (laughs) criminally insane. And so anyway, I never know what happened to Tony, but I just want you to know that uh, as this woman, as as Paul had uh, confronted her, the demon that was inside her, that he caused all this turmoil. And that's one of the things that the devil does. He is called uh, the author of confusion. And many times when you encounter these kind of things, then what they try to do is they try to make such a scene that the gospel is ignored, that you can't really get to the real heart of the issue. And so that's kind of what happened here. Uh, But it's interesting to notice here that um, um, that um, that you would thought that maybe this demon calling uh, God, the Most High, would have been a good thing for Paul. You know, I mean, after, after all, that's what he was there. He was proclaiming, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, most, the true God, the Most High God, God Almighty, and, this, and the, Jesus Christ, his Son, his Savior. Well, in Luke 4, 41, when Jesus encountered demons, as the demon also was coming out of many shouting, you are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. You know, it's really interesting that Jesus would not allow demons to witness about him. You know, and I think that there's a principle there for us as well. Uh, In Mark chapter 5, again, uh, I want you to notice that the demons use the very same name for God as as this uh, demon here in uh, Philippi. In Mark 5, 7, it says, And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do, you have, do we have to do with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God uh, not to torment me. Demons recognize who God is. 
They know who he is. But isn't it interesting that they uh, lie about who God is, even though they knew who he is? In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Yet they are the ones that disseminate false doctrine. The Apostle Paul says they have doctrines of demons. So they have their own false doctrines. Well, in verse 18, we see that she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Uh, <clears throat> in John, 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Paul didn't cast out this demon. The Holy Spirit did. You know, we don't have power in ourselves. All power that we have comes from God. Anything that we can do comes from God. I'm, I've said so many times to people, you know, if, if I do something wrong, that's Fred. If I do something right, that's God. <laughs> so anyway, verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before their authorities. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting that when Paul commanded the spirit to come out, he used the very same word. Uh, excuse me, Luke used the very same word to say that their prophet came out. So as the spirit was, was exercised, so was their prophet that they made through this woman. Verse 20, And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe as Roman. You know, suddenly uh, it's all about money, isn't it? But yet when he brings us to the authority, now it's politics. You know, we're Romans. They're Jews. There's division. And um, so anyway, uh, again, as we, I know we're not supposed to talk about politics, but we can't really read the Bible without really talking about politics because it was politics right here. And, uh, um, but <clears throat> um, when we think about politics, and again, I'm not saying every politician is this way, but, you know, it's not about caring for the people. It's about the money. It's follow the money. So uh, anyway, that's what was happening here. It was no longer about the fact that he had cast this demon out or anything like that. Now it was about something political. And so they used that. Um, again, remember that the Apostle Paul, he really intended nothing but good. He was actually trying to help this woman free her from the bondage of being demonized. You know, one of my favorite sayings, well, I don't know if it's one of my favorite sayings, but it's something that's so true to life, and I say it quite often, is that no good deed will go unpunished. And, uh, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just the way that life is in um, the, let's see, um, is, uh, we'll get to this later, but in Proverbs, it says that basically, Good and evil cannot coexist. That a matter of fact, that one is the abomination of the other. And so that's just, that's just the way life is as we live in this fallen world. Um, it's interesting that they were dragged away to prison. I wonder if the Apostle Paul at that time remembered the events of, um, that are recorded in Acts chapter 8, where it says, But Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them into prison. So the Apostle Paul had a great conversion. He was changed overnight, instantly, from someone who began to drag people into prison 
to someone who proclaimed the word of God and himself was dragged off into prison. So, um, you know, Peter reminds us not to think it's strange when you encounter various trials. Um, James tells us to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Paul goes on even farther and he says, join me in my suffering. And then, of course, Jesus um, said that uh, when we are being persecuted, to leap for joy. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, it says, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then that verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 29.27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. You know, it's not one of my favorite topics to talk about persecution. <laughs> but as we look at Scripture, we see that basically that's, that we will be persecuted, that we, we will suffer. I remember in India, we had pro- did this great big outreach, and afterwards we followed up on some, um, some people who accepted Christ, and we met them in a restaurant. And so after a little bit, the proprietor came, and he says, you're going to have to leave. And, and I said, well, why? And he said, well, because my customers don't like what they're hearing you say. And so, you know, I'm an American. We have freedom of speech, right? You know, well, that's not really the case in India. So I decided not to say anything. And so we got up and we started to leave. And so I went outside as my son paid the bill and got out on the front porch there of the restaurant that we were in. And, and there was all these young men uh, gathering around. There was like 20 of them. And, and all of a sudden, God's spirit just spoke to me and says, you need to leave and you need to leave now. So I called my son, and I told him that, and so we started to walk off to the car, and all of a sudden we looked behind us, and they were following us. So we ran to the car. Well, they chased us. Well, I could tell you the story later, but uh, we had to run for our lives. And why? Simply because we were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, if we are going to make a stand for Jesus, it will cost us. I'm not saying that you'll be chased by wild Indians like we were, but, uh, you know, it will cost you. And it cost the Apostle Paul. But I want you to notice, as we go on with this, this is not a negative experience. Okay, let's, let's go on. Verse 24. Or, excuse me, uh, verse 22. And the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrate, and they tore their clothes off them, and they proceeded uh, to order them to be beaten with rods, and they had struck them with many blows. They threw them into prison and commanded the jailer to guard them w- with security. Uh, And again, remember that the devil is the author of confusion. Uh, The goal of demons is to cause such a scene associated with evangelism that the message is forgotten, tainted, or despised. Okay, that's his goal. So, verse 24, And he, having received such a command, threw them into into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. Not only did he throw them into prison, but he threw them into the inner dungeon. And not only did he put them in prison, but he put their feet in the stocks and they were chained. And uh, so I think about, you know, how he did all these things. And we think of these dangerous terrorists. (laughs) Maybe they had a weapon of mass destruction. We're going to destroy the whole city. I mean, they needed to be locked down uh, heavily. And so that just seems to be what happens. Um, when we make a stand for what is right, not only is there punishment, but there is this exceedingly great punishment. Um, <clears throat> um, 
verse 25 starts out with one of my favorite words in the Bible. Anybody know what that is? But. <laughs> you know, when the news gets bad in Scripture, we see there's always a but and God does something. You know, when life is going bad for us, remember, there's an always but. God is alive and well today. God is in charge. God has plans for your life, and that plan involves an abundant life. Abundant life doesn't mean that we don't suffer. Abundant life means we live a life with significance, a life with meaning, a life with power, a life with joy in the midst of trials. So verse 25 says, But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Isn't this amazing? You know, don't we usually praise God after the deliverance? <laughs> well, here they're praising God before the deliverance. You see, Paul and Silas knew that their God was in charge. Perhaps they were praising God because they had been counted worthy to suffer for Christ. I don't know, but they were praising God. Verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. <clears throat> so, um, again, we just see that, um, that God always has a plan, doesn't he? Maybe you have received some bad news lately. Maybe you... Uh, our loved one has been diagnosed with a, uh, a chronic disease. Uh, our daughter just found out uh, just recently that she has, has multiple uh, our, our, what? MS. MS. Okay. All right. And um, um, but you know something? Uh, she has not been walking with the Lord, and uh, as a matter of fact, she was involved in this cult for a while. And um, but we just found out that she's gone to church a couple times since then. You know, sometimes bad news is, it really brings out the good news, doesn't it? So, um, anyway, um, <clears throat> I think of uh, some of our own people here. Um, I don't know, you, I don't even like to use people's names, but I'm going to. But uh, Gary Templin, you know, he has cancer. And I love what he says. He says, I'm not dying of cancer. I'm living with cancer. <laughs> and he is such a witness to the doctors and to the other patients. And, and matter of fact, that's his ministry now. You know, so he uses what many people would think was horrible. And yet he rejoices that he has this opportunity to share his faith with others. Verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Uh, in this culture, if you were a guard and your prisoner escaped, then you took his place. Can you imagine a guard allowing a prisoner escape and then him being thrown into the prison with the rest of the prisoners that he used to abuse? What would happen to him? See, death would have been better than what he would have experienced in that situation. So uh, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And again, as we look at this from the jailer's perspective, um, usually felons are not too concerned about their guards, you know. If something bad happens to their guards, then, you know, they're clapping their hands and, you know, having a celebration. 
But here, these prisoners were saying, no, we care about you. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. So again, that must have made a tremendous impact. Not only did he see their faith and the fact that they were singing and praising God, but now they actually uh, communicate that they care about him. You know, doesn't that what brings most of us to the Lord? Is the fact that we realize that God really cares about us. God cares about you. So much so that he sent his son to die for you. So that you could have an eternity with him. He wants you. Well, verse 31 says, and they said, believe in, he says, um, he says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This is probably the shortest gospel presentation in the Bible. But uh, so anyway, it's interesting that Paul and Silas included his household. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about people movements, but many times, especially in remote tribes, um, missionaries will go and minister for years. And then finally, a prominent person in that and that uh, culture will come to know Christ, and the whole village will come to know Christ. And uh, anyway, it's just a phenomenon that happens. So we see that he comes to know Christ, and then his whole household. But uh, in verse 32, it says, And he spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was uh, baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So I want you to notice also that his household didn't just get saved because he was saved and head of the household, but they heard the gospel message too, and they each received Christ as their Savior. You know, there are no second-generation Christians. You're not a Christian because you were raised in a Christian home. You're not a Christian because you go to church. Christians are people who repent and believe that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again and accept him as their Lord and Savior. Verse 35, And when the day came, <coughs> uh, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates has sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. You know, there are times when we as believers need to assert our civic rights. We do have a constitution, and we can claim those rights. And the Apostle Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, claimed his rights as a Roman citizen. I believe that he didn't do this for his own benefit, but he did it for the church that he was leaving behind. I could imagine, you know, these authorities and so forth beginning to severely persecute the believers who were left behind in Philippi. But the Apostle Paul claiming his Roman citizenship, and we'll see the fear that put upon them that uh, that perhaps would have um, caused these authorities or these people in authority not to uh, treat the believers with harm. So in, um, uh, in verse 38, the policemen reported these words to chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. Verse 40, uh, they went out of prison and entered the house of Lydia and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So um, this is a phenomenal thing that happened in real history. This was a real event. And you know the God who uh, delivered them, the God who put them or brought them through this whole thing is the same God who delivers us, the same God who dwells with us. 
So let me just summarize a few things. First of all, I want to look at the conversion of Lydia and how that gives us some um, insight in the process of salvation. So it helps us to pray. So when you're uh, praying for your loved ones that come to know Christ, then, um, you know, first of all, pray that God would cause them to respect him, that they would have a high regard for who God is. You know, God can do that. I mean, in Scripture, it tells us that, that every day God is declaring who he is through nature. You know, so as your loved ones are looking around the world today and they're seeing the evidence that there's a creator, there's a God, then pray that God would use that in their lives, that um, he would cause them to respect and revere the creator of the universe. Secondly, um, it, it says here that Lydia listened. She was a listener. Pray that God would make your loved ones a listener, that they would listen, maybe on the radio to a gospel message, uh, that they would listen to people who would, other Christians who would come into their lives and speak to them about the Lord. So pray that they would listen. And then thirdly, pray that God would open their hearts to believe and respond to the gospel. So if you're just running out of things to pray for your loved ones that you want to see known, uh, come to know Christ, then just use this little short outline and just use that as an outline to pray for them. And then secondly, um, expect opposition in prayer. Uh, when the Paul and Lydia and Silas were in Luke were going to the place of prayer, they were met by this demonized woman who was always trying to interrupt what they were doing. Have you ever noticed that when you get ready to pray that it's hardly ever a convenient time? You ever notice that? I noticed, you know, my wife, she is such a prayer woman, and I just love her so much. And it seems like every time that she say, well, let, let's pray, it seems like I've always got something else to do. <laughs> you know, that's just the name of the beast, you know, is that God, that the demons don't want us to pray. Prayer is the mechanism that God has given us to get him involved in our lives. And the devil doesn't want God involved in our lives. So he'll do anything at all to distract us. Uh, thirdly, <clears throat> the devil is the author of confusion. Don't be surprised when things happen that disrupt your ministry or your, or your life, period, when you're trying to serve the Lord. He is the author of confusion. As he came in and confused what the Apostle and Paul were trying to do uh, through this demonized woman, he will try to confuse your life. Just recognize it's from the devil. Fourthly, False truth, falsehood and truth cannot coexist. Um, <clears throat> compromising the truth is defeat. Okay? So even though uh, this demon was speaking some truth about who God was, demons are false witnesses. And there's a lot of falseness in this world today. And, and as we make a stand for the truth, we will face trials and persecution. But remember, compromising the truth is defeat. Let's make a stand for what is true. And then last, uh, when evil seems to be triumphing, remember these two words, but God. But God. God always intervenes. God doesn't allow anything to happen in your life unless it's for a good reason. God loves you, and, and um, uh, he's right there. He's with you. So when you're going through trials, remember, but God. God has a purpose in what's, what you're going through. He's there for you. Let's pray. Father God, again, we just want to thank you so much for uh, the history of, in these people's lives and how it can bring us hope and encouragement and insight. So, Lord, as we leave today, I just pray that you would also uh, just encourage us and give us insight into your plan for our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise you. 
And Father, I just ask for your blessing upon these people as we leave here. Lord, I pray that they would experience your presence in their lives throughout this week. Just pray, Father, that um, they would walk in truth and speak the truth. So again, Lord, I pray your blessing on this congregation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.